chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. I'm going to pick up from verse 17 in a moment, but I just want to share the blessing that we had um, on Wednesday night at our vision night. Who of you were there? Who of you put up your hand high? Um, we had a, a great time. Uh, we sensed the Lord's presence with us. I have some good news for you. We have sold 30 Drake Road across the road and uh, for almost 200,000 rand more than what we expected. And uh, we've been offered occupational rents. Whilst, yeah, give the Lord a, a round of applause. Yeah. And um, we've made some uh, staff appointments. Um, uh, so one of them are mine um, as lead elder and congregational leader here at Sterling. We have Dane in the worship ministry and Kerry in her ministry coordination role. Those were all uh, finalized. And then we have call committee set up for the youth position. Of course, Dane's moved across to worship now. And then also for the Ridge, where Joey's serving. We uh, have constituted those, and we'll be looking forward to settling them um, uh, and getting uh, God's uh, will for those two areas and hearing from the Lord together as we bring those names forward for the call committee of Joe and uh, Mark. There we go. Right. I hope my preaching is in line this morning. I can't afford to uh, skip a beat. There's a lot to say. So I'd like us to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is the verse one is only on today. For I tell you, this is Jesus saying on his own authority, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to wrap up this section this morning, and we're going to take a few weeks' break on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, I want to just run through quickly the journey of how we got to this point, because uh, it helps just add to what I want to preach on this morning of this Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And I want to remind you, first and foremost, that this Sermon on the Mount is being preached to anybody who wants to follow Jesus here this morning. That person is called a disciple, and he's called to us as a church. And what a Christian is, really, it is to call to love one person. His name is Jesus. That's it. You want to know why you're here? You want to know what you're supposed to be doing with your life? It is living for, loving for, longing for one person, Jesus Christ. And this call to follow him, oh man, it's so powerful. It transforms every area of your life. You realize that when you want to start loving Jesus and living for him, there's not a single part of your life that's out of his grasp, out of his interest. Isn't that amazing? You know, I was thinking about it this morning. The mark of the love of the Father and the Son is that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. Every area of your life, in pain 
or enjoy. He knows. He's interested in. He's totally connected to. He's the most amazing God. And He wants to come into every aspect of your life. And the way He wants to come, oh, it's not for pain. It's not for heartache. No, no, it's for blessing. And we saw in the Beatitudes how in our lives, God, as we begin to be gripped with the love for Jesus, starts to transform our lives. And He, just, he explains that in the Beatitudes. And this transformation, it is so powerful. Let me tell you, the most powerful thing in your life is your love for Jesus. It is what changes you. It is what keeps you. And when it starts to come through you, you start to taste differently. You're called salt. You start to look different. You're called light. Oh, wow. But we said, can you believe it, five weeks ago already, that the most amazing thing is Jesus says, in order to live and experience this kind of life, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. And he's preaching to Jews. Isn't that incredible? And these Jewish guys were going, this guy, they were understanding what he was saying. He's going to throw out the law and the prophets because what he's saying is nothing like these scribes and Pharisees. Telling us we have to obey the law of Moses in order to be able to enter into the blessing of God. No, no, Jesus is saying this blessed life, this powerful transformation, it comes entirely outside of the law because he hasn't even mentioned it yet. Ah, but he knows what they're thinking. He says, no, there's a slight correction. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Everything in this Old Testament points to me, and I've arrived. And the next thing we saw in the next week was how Jesus fulfills the law, and in doing so, delivers all those who come to faith in Christ from its authority. We are not followers of Moses, praise God. We are followers of Jesus. We're not under the authority of the law. We are under the authority of Christ who upgraded, who fulfilled the law. We have to go further than what the law could ever do for us. And the next thing we saw is, the amazing part about this is, is that this kingdom of God, we don't get into the kingdom without keep. This kingdom of God, we don't get into the kingdom by keeping commandments. Nor are we kicked out of this kingdom by not keeping commandments. Let me tell you, you are safe and secure in the kingdom by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, period. He said, if you don't obey, you're still in the kingdom. If you do obey, you're in the kingdom. It's not about whether you're in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. It's how far you'll go in the kingdom. That's the point. Can I just remind you this morning for somebody who's struggling with sin, it is normal as a Christian to struggle with weakness. Let me tell you, the joy of being a Christian is knowing we're in the kingdom not because of our performance, but because of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We said last week, because of the blood. Anyone got a guilty conscience here this morning? It happened so quickly, right? Oh, as a parent, it happened so quickly. Happened to me the other day. I was so ratty because I hadn't slept, and Sarah was kicking her legs against the table. Don't kick her legs against the table. I'll give you a smack if you get it. It's just like, oh, Matthew, just relax. You know how hard it was for me to get my conscience right before God? What made me recover was not that I was a perfect father for the rest of the day, Oh, what made me recover was the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, my girl. Please forgive me. Daddy didn't get that right. Living under the blood, it's the most wonderful thing. You are in the kingdom at your best and at your worst because of Jesus Christ. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let me tell you, that's why you can rejoice in your salvation. 
Some of us here have gotten so cold. Oh, so heavy. This thing being Christian is so heavy. I go, let me tell you, when you see the joy that comes from your position in Christ, you overflow with such strength, with such resilience. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why? Because you're leaning on Jesus. You're living in the love of Jesus. He's the one covering you. You are put in Christ. And my friend, you can go so far because he's so with you. Praise God. But he said, he wants us to go far. Jesus wants you to go far. Your salvation, that first taste of experiencing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that moment when it dawned on you, you needed Jesus and you became poor in spirit. It was just the start. It's the most incredible thing. This first taste of Jesus, it's like the hors d'oeuvres. It's just the starting course. You're in the kingdom, but there's so much more to enjoy and experience and achieve in your life. And we said last week, your life, you were saved, handpicked for the purpose that God has for you. No one looks like you. No one thinks like you. No one has a quirky sense of humor like you. Everything that you are is packaged into your salvation. God made you by design so that when he saved you, you were saved for purpose. Oh, but my friends, the point of it all is this today is we will not be able to enter into that purpose unless we are concerned about obedience. You see, we are in the kingdom because of Christ's obedience, because of his righteousness. But let me say to you, that's just the start. We have to start entering into God's will for our lives. And that is determined by how seriously we take this word called righteousness. And righteousness this morning, I want to remind you of what it means. And can I tell you a quick story about my experience of this word? Sometimes in the Christian life, I want to encourage some of you, you see a word and you've got no idea what it means. And you can be like that for years. And be honest, this is how I experienced righteousness. As a young boy... My pastor gave me a book on demons. It wasn't the most helpful book, but I remember that there was this constant talking about righteousness, and it took me years to understand it. And let me tell you this morning what righteousness is. It is being right with God, pleasing to God in every single area of your life. It is a right standing where you are at peace with God because He's pleased with the way that that area or that aspect of your life is. And righteousness is all-encompassing. And what I want to talk about today is this kingdom that you are saved into as a Christian is a kingdom of righteousness. So important. In actual fact, I want to say quickly something about this kingdom. This kingdom, guys, it is so difficult to talk about because it's currently invisible, right? Anybody here woke up feeling like you're in the kingdom of God this morning and there was Jesus on the throne and you got to go and say, good morning, Jesus. How are you today? And the kings, you experience things as a visible experience. No, it's not. It's invisible. And it's only in parts. You only get to experience this kingdom. And it's such a tough thing as a Christian because you feel like you're in two worlds. You know, spiritually, you're in this kingdom, but physically, you're still in the flesh. Oh, you have the victory in the kingdom, but you're still struggling in the flesh. It's there. You know you're there. You can experience God's presence, but sometimes you can experience His absence. That's what it's like. Let me tell you, there is coming a day when you will no longer have to long for a greater experience of the kingdom because it's going to come in its fullness. Oh, God, might we live for that day? 
There's going to come a day when the king is going to arrive. And what is coming part, he came in part and had to go back. It only came for a little bit through the power of the Spirit. Ah, it's going to come in the power of the presence of Jesus Christ himself. He's going to rock up on earth and everything's going to be changed in that moment of glory. 2 Peter 3.13 says, according to God's promise, we are going to see a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you think about that day? Let me tell you, it is a day you have to think about every day of your life because that is what you're living for as the Christian. That is what you're calling guys to in your family. We prayed for fathers who don't know Jesus yet. Friends who don't know Jesus. Workplace colleagues who don't know Jesus. That day is coming and he wants, we want them to be ready because it's going to last forever. Such a beautiful moment when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a son by the power of the Spirit. And he says this, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Praise God. And all that is going to remain when that kingdom arrives in its fullness is righteousness. This is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Is we are motivated by righteousness because that's all that's going to remain when Jesus arrives. Because here's the point. Because it is a kingdom of righteousness, only if you are righteous are you allowed to dwell in the kingdom. There will be no unrighteousness in that kingdom. And even now, we only get into the kingdom... Because we are righteous, and I hope that you're asking the question, well, does that mean I am in the kingdom because of every single area of my life being right with God? That's not me. If I said to Retif, Retif, are you righteous? How would you answer me? Shame, I'll let him off the hook. Never mind. It's a dilemma because he knows theologically, scripturally, he is righteous, but man, he's not righteous in his behavior, Right? Let me tell you, to be a Christian is to face your own weakness. If you never, ever experience what it's like to struggle in the flesh, you haven't yet experienced what it's really like to have to please God. But amazingly, I want to tell this to you, we are righteous. We are able to be in the kingdom because of a righteousness that we received outside of ourselves. This is the good news. It is a righteousness that comes to us by faith in Jesus. And you know what faith is? You know what it means? Anybody here who wants to be a Christian? It is recognizing your own unrighteousness and stretching out an empty hand for Christ's righteousness. That's what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, I need you. That use a big wire. That's saying everything you are has to come and take my place because I am so unrighteous. I have to have your righteousness. And the second you do that, all that you're doing by faith is you are receiving the righteousness of Christ. That old self dies. You are born again. But you're not born again as you were before. You were born literally plunged into Jesus. His righteousness is your covering. You are in Christ. I want you to meditate on this verse, Sterling. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, my friend, you have the righteousness of Jesus. Amazing. The only way you are able to be in the kingdom is because of your righteous position given to you by grace. And that position is in Christ. And Christ is king in the kingdom. And he's in the kingdom forever. And so are you in him. Ah, but although you are righteous in your position, now you have to go after righteousness in your behavior. Matt Johnson is righteous in his position. Oh, but he's not righteous in his behavior. And we have to, we have to get our own righteousness. That's what Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 says. Unless your righteousness, he's not talking about Christ's righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never experience its fullness. You've received righteousness in Christ. Now you've got to go after your own. You have to apply that righteousness you receive to every single area of your life. You have to align your life to the righteousness you've received. Righteous in position, you have to now become righteous in your behavior. You have to get it working out. And unless, this is the point, unless you're interested in going after righteousness in your life, in wanting to please Jesus in every single area, this thing of the kingdom will be closed to you and me. We will not be able to enter into the experience and the fullness of, of the kingdom. Our righteous position is just the entry card. We have to now enter into the full experience of the kingdom by going and getting our own righteousness. We have to align our lives with our position in Jesus Christ. And this is the point that Jesus is making. How far you go in your pursuit to be right with God in every area of your life will determine how far you go in the kingdom. How far you go in your pursuit to be right with God in every area of your life will determine how far you go in the kingdom. And the great purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, I hope that you're starting to see its flow and thrust, is that it is training us for righteousness. Think about it for a moment. Jesus preached one sermon called the Sermon on the Mount for his disciples. He only had one chance. He had three years of public ministry, then he had to go to heaven. Everything he wanted us to know as his disciples is in here, right? This is his manual for discipleship. Can you see how much righteousness is a part of every single section? He talks about it in the Beatitudes, the highest Beatitude for which we are persecuted for. It's for righteousness. The peak of all of the Spirit's transforming power in your work, it is righteousness. That's what you get persecuted for. The impact of your life on the world is determined by your level of righteousness. Jesus is concerned about how our righteousness relates to the law. He's concerned how our righteousness looks in real life, in our emotions like anger, in our sexual urges, in our marriage, in our speech, in our dealing with offense, bitterness, facing opposition. You look at it, how to practice our righteousness in Matthew chapter 6. Everything is about righteousness. Can I point out this morning what is not there? There is no obsession with money in the Sermon on the Mount. You will hear some preachers say, God's sole purpose in your salvation is to make you rich. 
I challenge you to read the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Do you see anything where money and wealth and prosperity is at the center of the Sermon on the Mount? You won't find it. I ask you as well, do you see anything in the Sermon on the Mount about how to be a successful, respectable person in the eyes of the world, how to have perfect health and happiness? It's not the focus of the Sermon on the Mount. You won't find it. Is there anything about how to speak to your circumstances, prophesy to your poverty, claim your blessing? There is nothing in the Sermon on the Mount of so much that is preached today. How often do you hear preaching like Jesus's in mainstream Christianity? Let me tell you, this preaching on righteousness is rare. And there's a reason for that. Because Satan knows if you unlock it, you will enter into the greatest blessing and the purpose fulfilled for which you were saved for. There is an absolute reason why there is this distraction, distraction, a detraction of this central message to the kingdom, which is you are saved by Christ's righteousness in order to get your own. And Christians, can I just wake you up a little bit here this morning? Is if you are not concerned about how your life is looking and aligning with Jesus, you're going to miss the kingdom. You're not saved to make yourself feel all nice and happy and rest on your laurels now that you know Jesus and everything else is kind of just an appendage to, a Christ's appendage to everything else in your life. No, no, he is central. And what he's saying is you need to start looking like him. God is interested in making, he's not interested in making you rich and respectable in the world's eyes. He wants to make you righteous. Why? Because without righteousness, you and I will never enter God's kingdom purposes for our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Oh, and all these other things will be added unto you. Some of us are worried about how much money we're going to have. Let me tell you, God promises to provide what you need for your call. That's it. So if you're a businessman here this morning and you're very gifted and you've made a lot of money, your call is to, how does my gift of making a lot of money fit into the kingdom? How do I be righteous with my wealth before God? For some of us who are, who are just struggling for school fees or for having food in the cupboard, I want to guarantee you, based on the promise of Christ himself, he will give you what you need to fulfill your calling in the kingdom. I have fellow pastors who serve in rural areas who earn 900 rand a month. And let me tell you, I don't know how they come out, but God keeps his word to them. Because they know that when God calls them to something, he promises to provide what they need to fulfill it. Do you have that kind of faith? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about... <laughs> let me maybe just push, move on. It's not about these things that are so tangible. God says, don't worry about it. Your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Ah, but what it is about, it's about of righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. It is this understanding that the first primary call of myself and yourself as followers of Jesus is righteousness. And if you're going to enter into the joy and the peace and the fullness of the Spirit, this is what is Paul's arguing in Romans 14 is you have to take righteousness seriously. If you're not interested in living a righteous life, you will never enter the kingdom. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom. 
And with the little bit of time I have left, I want to explain what does this righteousness look like that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. And where I want to start is you need to understand the kind of people Jesus is preaching to. They are not educated professors. They are not the kind of people who are wealthy and at the top of, of, of the social table. They are fishermen. They stink of prawns. You've got ex-tax collectors or tax collectors who are now deciding to be righteous, a rare occasion in Israel. You've got ex-prostitutes. Jesus is preaching to the most common kinds of people in the world. Can I say, if you don't feel there's anything special about your life, you are perfect for the kingdom. And when they say, when Jesus says to these commoners, guys, you're going to go beyond these scribes and Pharisees, do you know they would have thought that was absolutely impossible? Jesus was describing the kind of people who were the cleverest, they knew the most about the Bible, who were probably the most uh, strict in terms of trying to keep all of these commandments of Moses. And also, they were wealthy. If you read about the Pharisees and scribes, they were motivated by money. They had the class, they had the cleverness, and they had the distinction and power and authority in the country. And they were the mark in the eyes of the common people of righteousness. And Jesus said, you have to leave these guys in the dust. These scribes, man, they were the teachers of the law. They were the doctors of the law. If you had some question, you went to the scribe and said, could you please explain this law of Moses to me? And they would muscle up and say, I know the answer. I'm the authority. They were the ones that wrote out scriptures. If you wanted something for your bar mitzvah, wanted this piece of scripture for your son, they would write it out perfectly. They're the ones who put the Old Testament together. The Pharisees, those are the scribes. The Pharisees were this powerful political and religious party in Israel. They had such clout, and they were known as separatists. They wanted to be separate. They felt superior to the commoner and to those that tried to expound the law in the priesthood. These were the bigwigs of the day. And Jesus is saying, you simple guys, you need to exceed their righteousness. They would say, that's impossible. Oh, why is that? Why would Jesus say that their righteousness has to exceed that of these scribes and Pharisees. I want to unpack just five points on what this righteousness looks like and why it's different to the scribes and Pharisees. The first is, is that Christ's disciples, you and me who are in him, are to have a righteousness that drives us to Jesus. We are to have a righteousness that drives us to Jesus. And in order for this to happen, we have to see how high this standard of righteousness is that we have to aim for. You know how Jesus set the bar? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You know what he said? He said, you therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. Jesus is saying, you as my disciples you have to aim in every area of my life to resemble the Father. It is high. It is so much higher than these scribes and Pharisees. And this standard of righteousness, it is so high, it is helpful to you and me. Do you know why? Because the second we see how high it is, the second we start to understand how we can't meet it in ourselves, is we start to see with the standard, we start to see our need for Jesus. My friend, if you do not yet see how high the standard of righteousness in the kingdom is, you will never ever need Jesus. And Jesus says, 
You have to be perfect like your Father is, who in heaven is perfect. And the second you start to think about your life and how far you are from that standard of righteousness, oh, you know what it does? It makes you poor in spirit. You know immediately you're a goner. You need the blood of Jesus. You need Jesus to be the one that enables you to run this race because you're so far from the standard. Let me tell you, you know you're on track in the kingdom. When the kind of righteousness that Jesus is calling us to is a righteousness that enjoys Him. Is that your righteousness this morning? How much do you need Jesus in your life? You see, if your concept of righteousness is just to do a bunch of religious stuff, and we fall into that all the time as Christians. Oh, we attend church. We don't say the F or the S word. We maybe say a few prayers before we go to bed or read a page of something. Try and make sure that in the right context we look okay. Let me tell you, if that is your concept of the righteousness that God is calling you to, you'll never have Jesus. You'll never have your need for Jesus. Can I explain to you what a Pharisee is in the modern day church? A Pharisee is someone who does the church stuff but has no love or need for Jesus. The kind of righteousness that God is calling us to is a righteousness that enjoys Christ. Because when the call goes out that this is the standard, we understand our need for Jesus and we live with a need of what he has done for us on the cross every day and we love him all the more for it. The standard's high, oh, but the provision's just as high. The standard and call is high, oh, but the spirit provided for us in Christ is just as powerful. This is the standard, but this is the provision. This is the call. This is the joy. I tell you, you have to live from both in order to achieve it. And if you've never, ever experienced what it's like to enjoy Jesus and your sum total of Christian life is a bunch of rituals and routines and rotes, I tell you now, let me tell you, I pray that God would open your eyes to see how high the mark is because you'll never love Jesus unless you do. Some of us are too self-righteous. This is my great struggle, is you become familiar. You become familiar with the church and familiar with the scriptures and even familiar with God. Let me tell you this morning, the awakening you need, if that's you, is you have to understand the call of the kingdom is righteousness. And it is righteousness that is perfect. It is righteousness of the Father. You need Christ to get there. You run to Christ to empower you. You run to Christ to keep you. You even look to Christ to be the model for you. You need such encouragement in Jesus in order to keep going for it. How much do you enjoy and save a Christ? Because the kind of righteousness that we are called to is a righteousness that rejoices in Jesus. These Pharisees could not see their need for him. And you want to know why self-righteousness is so damaging in the kingdom? It's because when the Son of God is coming to your life and saying, this is what you need to change, you go, I'm fine. Righteousness. I don't have to worry about what that. What you you telling me? I need to change. That's fine. I don't, that is self righteousness, my friend. Is the no real need to change or conform to Jesus? It will kill your experience of the kingdom. The second kind of righteousness that comes through is a righteousness that goes way beyond the law. I'll tell you what self righteousness plays out as is when you're only worried about how you appear in front of other Christians. 
These guys, the Pharisees and scribes, were concerned about what their hands were doing, an external kind of righteousness, when Jesus is saying, guys, it's not just an external kind of righteousness. It's not just obeying some sort of commandments. It has got to do with your hearts. The kind of righteousness Jesus is calling us to is not just a righteousness that's concerned with our hands. It's concerned about the heart. Can I say to you this morning, Sterling, if your heart is not engaged for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven will be shut to you. And we are so careless in our hearts as Christians. We allow it to run after other affections, but oh, there's something more that happens. Bitterness, rage, wrath, unforgiveness, jealousy, envy, slander, these things that affect our hearts. I tell you, if you do not deal with them in your life, the kingdom of heaven will be blocked. Do you know what the Beatitudes say? It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want to ever experience the kingdom, you have to watch what's happening on the inside. It is a righteousness from the inside out. Forgive me this morning. I'm getting a bit under your nose. But I only get 40 minutes to do it. Once a week. Where is your heart for Jesus? Let me tell you, if you are too focused on your hands, it is a sign of self-righteousness. Because when you start to understand your need inside of your heart, your state of your heart, only the Spirit can show you that. That's the point. The law could never touch the heart. But when the Spirit is coming to your life and He's starting to stir you up, He's starting to say, this is where you need to become righteous. This is where I want you to enter into the kingdom. Oh man, only the person who has their eyes and ears in tune with the Spirit is able to respond from the heart. And the mark, the mark of a grieved Holy Spirit in our lives is when the Spirit comes again and again and says, you need to change. Your heart's not right. Your unity's not right. You're not with these guys. You're not single-minded. You're in sin. You're not in the righteousness of the kingdom. When he comes and you go, no, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to. I don't need to change. I'm doing all the right stuff. My hand's coming to church. My hand's giving. My hand's serving. Oh, no, my friend, it's the heart. And if you don't guard your heart above all else, you're done for. You're a dead man in water. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you realize it's not just about the hands. It's about the heart. And that was a problem with these Pharisees. Here Jesus sees this man who's been blind from birth, John chapter 9. And this man, he's never seen a day in his life. Anybody blind here? Anybody has a friend who's blind? Let me tell you, Jesus on the Sabbath takes this mud and he heals this man. And what did the Pharisees say? Instead of rejoicing that a miracle of grace has happened to this man's life, his eyes have been opened. He can see for the first time. He sees the trees. He sees the water. He sees Jesus. What do they say? Jesus, you did it on the Sabbath. You're a sinner. That's the kind of uncompassionate, unconsiderate kind of heart that comes to these Pharisees. It doesn't matter about where the heart is. It's about the hands. Let me tell you the mark of a righteous follower of Jesus is how far they are able to love, even love their enemies, as God's, Jesus is going to say, even love those that spitefully use them, even those that speak against them falsely, who spread rumors, even how far they will go for loving their, their enemies and even their neighbors. doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter how unrighteous they are. That's the kind of person that we call to be. It's no matter what the person is, there's compassion. 
That's the kind of righteousness God is calling us to. And it's a righteousness that goes beyond cleverness. These guys thought they were so clever. Let me tell you, the greatest temptation for the Christian is to think that degrees of theology or even book knowledge equates with spiritual understanding. Can I tell you, I stand before you this morning not because of my qualification. I hope, it's my prayer, that I stand here because of God's hand on my life. And you can know as much as you like, Sterling. You can have a doctorate. You can have a master's. You can study all you like and still be spiritually illiterate. And my concern is some of us here, we prize doctrine in this church. We prize good teaching. Some of us have been around under good teaching for a long time. Can I just nudge you this morning and say, righteousness does not equal cleverness. How much you know does not mean how righteous you are. Learning is only learning when it leads to righteous living. The fourth point is righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees is a righteousness that is characterized by fearlessness and courage. Let me tell you, the kind of people Jesus is saying they need to surpass are those that are going to crucify him. He says about those scribes and Pharisees, he says, listen, their level of righteousness, it's such a slap in the face. Their level of righteousness, it's too low for God. And he knows that they are going to be listening and they're going to be plotting and planning his downfall. But he doesn't care because he's not looking for their approval. Can I say to you today, the greatest freedom of a Christian is somebody who has got nothing to prove to the world. You're looking for one approval only. That's God's. And if you want to become a righteous person, there's something you and I have to die to. And unfortunately, it has to, that we have to die to it every single day. It's the applause of what people think about us around us. Not so? is we want to live for everybody's well done, but it will cause you to compromise on righteousness. Let me tell you, the world is not interested in righteousness. Only God is. And if you want to go far in the kingdom and being a blessing to the world around you and love those that you're called to love and move beyond yourself and how people are responding to you and finding your self-esteem, your ego as to how they are applauding you on or saying how wonderful you are. Oh man, be delivered from that. If we're going to be free from that, we have to think the way Jesus did. And it takes courage, it takes guts, it takes perseverance, it takes a willingness to die to the applause of those around us. Can I be vulnerable with you this morning to my own sinfulness? And I'll suggest it's yours too. Do you know why we don't like to share the gospel with those around us? It's because we're so worried about our reputation. What will they think about me. Jesus is saying, we must die to that. If we're going to enter the kingdom, we have to live for one applause only. And that doesn't make us obnoxious or obtuse or rude. No, no. That makes us righteous. And oh, that's what the world needs to see. They're tired of hearing just an echo of their own philosophy and their own, the world is greedy after money. The world is greedy after possessions. It's tired. They don't need to hear a gospel that tells them the exact same thing that they're after. They need to see a gospel of righteousness. 
about a kingdom that's coming that looks different to the world around them. And when we start to live like that, my friend, you will start to be a game changer. People will stand up and go, this person tastes different. This person looks different. This person is different because they're serving somebody different. This is not hard to understand. It's to enter into the freedom of what it means to live for one applause. Let me tell you, hand your reputation over to God. Let him look after it. Those mates need you to be the kind of person that you are in your closet when you're praying before God, when you're in church. They need that same kind of person to come out with them. They need to see so-and-so who is under the authority of Jesus, living it out in every single context of their lives. It takes courage. It takes guts. It takes an ability like Jesus did to, to forsake the applause of the world. Oh, but you know what will happen to you? You will have such a clean conscience. You will know what it's like not to serve two masters. You'll put your head down on your pillow at night. And I guarantee you there'll be peace. So many of us have got no peace because of a guilty conscience. We talk one way in church. We act one way in church. We forsake that righteousness when it comes to the people around us. Ah, that's not the kind of life Jesus wants us to live. He promises freedom. And the highest form of freedom is the righteousness that is led and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And can I say to you, 10 o'clock, why does righteousness matter? It matters because the only way you're going to achieve righteousness is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, he is easily grieved. What you say, how you live, affects your intimacy with him. And if we don't learn to prize righteousness, my friend, we will grieve the Spirit and then we are done for. It's like flying without a pilot, it only leads to a crash. You know what I learned from this sermon in preparing it? Do you know what it means to enter into the kingdom? It means to have an ever-increasing sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You will forsake that if you do not prize righteousness. And you need that righteousness more than anything to come through the leading of the Spirit. And righteousness in the kingdom is this righteousness. It comes, focus on me, on my last point. It comes through being an ever, through an ever increasing openness to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to tell you. James put it like this. He says, you have to receive meekly the implanted word. It's when God comes to your life, you're not striking back in self-defense. You are saying, God, I receive it. I will adjust. 
That's the mark of entering the kingdom, is learning that righteousness is what enables the Spirit to reach us. Oh, and we need Him. You know why these Pharisees could never keep the righteousness Jesus required was because they did not have the Holy Spirit. They wanted to do it by their sweat. Jesus is saying, you have to do it by my Spirit. And righteousness matters because the Spirit matters. And part of learning the ways of the kingdom is learning that in every single area of our lives, we walk by the Spirit. And when we feel we've grieved the Spirit, we respond. Where we feel the Spirit's prompting, we follow Him. This is not by our sweat of our brow. This is not by sort of hard, fast commandments. It comes as the Spirit applies the implanted Word. He takes Scripture and plants it in your life. And your response to the Spirit will determine how far you go. The kingdom of God is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to ask you, how hungry and thirsty are you for righteousness? Do you want it in every single area of your life? Because without it, the kingdom of heaven will be closed to you and me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Come, come. I want you to be righteous in every single area of your life because all of its promises, its purpose, all of its experience is there for you to take. It's determined by how far you're willing to go in wanting to please Him. Keeping a soft heart, a tenderness to the Spirit, and a love for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray that you would settle our focus. Lord, there's so much calling. There's so much distracting us. But this morning, I pray you would let us hear afresh the call of the kingdom. That without righteousness, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We cannot enter into the fullness of of the life you have designed for us in Jesus. That your kingdom purposes move forward in us as we move forward in the Spirit. And I pray that, Lord, today, you would begin to open our eyes to the wonder and joy of what it means to have the kingdom the kingdom on offer to each of us. That, Lord, how we live now, oh, it has an eternal impact. There's an opportunity for glory. There's variations of greatness. I pray this morning in our hearts, you would seal something in us that we're going to go for what's on offer. We want the kingdom. We want the experiences of an unhindered, ungrieved Holy Spirit. We want to be able to hear your voice, Lord, 
saying, well done, even in this life. We want to enter into the fulfillment of what your spirit wants to lead us into. It is handpicked for us. We have such opportunity to live for you now, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that there be a hunger and thirst for righteousness in us as a church, not just to go through the motions, not just to keep our hands busy, oh, but to keep our hearts on fire for you, soft to you, open to you, hungry and thirsty for you. Oh, Lord, surely this is the great way to live for the King. We pray with Ashley in your kingdom here. Oh, Lord, we want that righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We want that for us now leading us into glory in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.